The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Is that Robin Hood's music? No, I don't think so. But you wouldn't know because you've never seen the movie. So I can't. I don't. I'm not telling. And I will be watching Godfather here very soon, too, by the way. Okay, okay. Yep, I won't hold my breath on that. Whoa, I might have oxygen today. Big stuff popping here on Chris Sims Unbuttoned. Ahmed crawled out from underneath his rock and watched a movie, a.k.a. arguably the greatest movie of all time. And we're going to get his, I don't want to say book report, but movie review at the end of this podcast, which I'm very excited about. What's up, everybody? Ahmed Fareed, Chris Sims. Hope everybody's doing well out there. Ahmed, what's up, man? How you doing? What's going on, Chris? Yeah, all it took was needling from you for about a year and uh, a global pandemic. Both of those things combined <laughs> got, me, got me to watch one of the most iconic movies of all time. And we were just talking about this with uh, Pete Demolimolimolitis. We were like, is it possible to, to spoil a movie that came out four decades ago? Because I'm going to, in my review, there will be some spoilers. So I hope that if you have not watched it like me a week ago and want to watch it, you maybe you turn it off at that point. Yeah, well, if you haven't watched it by now, you, you got issues like Ahmed, and you need to crawl back <laughs> underneath your rock because I don't know where the hell you're living. If you haven't watched The Godfather by now, okay? But we got a good podcast, nonetheless. Yes. We're going to hit the movie review. We're going to do Chris Sims' top 10 backup quarterbacks in football. We're going to do Ahmed Fareed's top five backup quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. We're going to talk a little Don Shula, RIP to him. And then we're going to do a few Ask Me Anythings, right? And that's pretty yeah. much a wrap. So we actually might do a podcast around an hour for the first time in a long time. We'll see. First thing I want to know, did you watch the second Godfather? No, no. I'm, so I'm you wanted, just, you... I barely got through the first one, to be honest with you. It took two nights. So it was two hours in the first night. I had to shut it off. It was too late. Kids get up pretty early. And then I watched the final hour the next night. So even that was like a two-day adventure. You are so soft. Holy cow. <laughs> I mean, we had to watch The Godfather in a two-day event. Oh, my God. Yeah. Who am I dealing with there? All right, forget it. All right. We'll get to that okay. later. Let's talk football. Hey, hold on. But we should celebrate, too, episode 150. Congratulations. Woo! We made it to 150. Um, I thought you would make it to 150 for sure. I didn't know that I would be here along for the ride for 150, but I made it to 150. You made so it. Yes. Uh, so and, that's, that's and fun. And so everybody Big, knows with number. you, too, at the end of every podcast, Ahmed gives a clap. He claps it up every time, no matter what. It's okay, yeah. everybody. Good pod. Good pod. You're always positive energy. I appreciate that about you, big guy. 
which I would say is is weirder in my basement doing it alone. But it was actually pretty weird when we were at NBC. <laughs> yes, <laughs> both, were, both were significantly weird. So, yeah, we got the backup quarterbacks. We got all the uh, ask me anythings. But let's start. And you talked about it a little bit with Mike on PFT, of course, yesterday, the passing of legendary coach Don Shula at the age of 90 on Monday, 33 years as a coach in the NFL. And I thought this was amazing. Only two times, two seasons, were losing seasons, the worst of which, 6-10. and 10. So this team was always either elite or average, ahead of the pack. Uh, started in Baltimore, then went over to Miami for 26 years. And, and the thing that strikes me about him, Chris, is that everyone who came in contact with him has nothing but positive things to say about him. Not that he was you know, a great competitor, uh, because he was, but he was just a good guy and a decent he guy. Was. It seems like anyone anyone who came in contact with him really enjoyed that interaction. Yeah, it was it was a good person. You know, I got to meet Don Shula probably a handful of times in my life. And, you know, he just had a great way about him, just a real people person. It wasn't like, you know, coach, tough guy act. Some guys can be like that in the NFL. You know, you just felt like, hey, this is, you know, this is a grandfather type. What a nice gentleman he is. And, of course, like you said, we know what kind of competitor he was and how smart he is, but really is just a, really was just a, a, a really nice guy to be around, certainly. And, you know, of course, anytime you saw him, and I think every time I met him in my life, it was down in Florida somewhere. He had a great tan and his sunglasses on. And, you know, he just got a look to where when he walks into the room, you instantaneously know who that person is. He's more than just like an ex-NFL coach. He's like a figure in our country, kind of a part of our culture. And I'm, a, you know, you know, I've been thinking about it really for like the last 24 hours. Like, where does Don Shula rank of the all-time great coaches? You know, does he make Mount Rushmore? I don't know. We can discuss all those things in a second. But the fact that I don't think there's any denying this is what's I think the most remarkable to me. He was you know, in the conversation for the best coach in football for three straight decades. And I think that's where I'm like, wow. You know, you go through the 60s. Hey, we know Vince Lombardi, probably king of the 60s, right? You know, Paul Brown was there involved in the 60s too. But Don Shula, what he did with the Baltimore Colts, I think he's in the conversation. You get into the 70s, three Super Bowl appearances, one, two of them. One was an undefeated season. You know, I think other than Chuck Knoll, you probably argue Don Shula was the second best coach of the 70s. You know, in that conversation with, with, you know, Tom Landry, the 80s, hey, he's up there again. It's amazing. I know no Super Bowls, but two Super Bowl appearances, there's something to be said about that. Very relevant, very competitive with the Miami Dolphins. And, you know, you go to the 80s, who were the best coaches of the 80s? Probably Bill Walsh, you know, uh, Joe Gibbs. Bill Parcells, you know, Don Shula's in the mix there. I think that's just amazing to me to be that good for that long and that many different eras with different style of play and the players changing as people and just the NFL growing. I I think that's what's more impressive than anything about Don Shula. Well, we think about this new school approach in the NFL where teams are hiring younger coaches, coaches in their early to mid-30s. You got the Sean McVay's out there. Don Shula was the originator of that, or one of them at least. He was 33 years old when he got his first job in Baltimore. And what really struck me about him and hearing Peter King talk about it too, 
was the way, and this is something I really respect from not just head coaches, but any leader in any organization, he empowered his assistant coaches. Like he put them in positions to not only succeed, but take a lot of credit for the success of the team. And I think you look at some of the great coaches in the NFL now with the Andy Reeds who, who are similar in that way. Like I respect that almost more than anything from a head coach is like, can you lead men on the field? Can you lead your coaching right. staff? But can you also give them the credit for the success? And it seems like Don Shula was able to do that. Yeah, I mean, certainly. You know, I, I think that's, that's something that we need to talk about. His ability to relate to people, you know, kind of just what I was talking about when I met him a few times. You could just tell he's a people's person. It's very easy for him to talk. There's a realness and a humbleness about him. And I, 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 you're right. He was not like the dictator type NFL head coach where it was just him, his way or my way or the highway. He wasn't he calling offenses. He could have gotten away he with could that. have been. No doubt about it. Right. He certainly could have been. He definitely had enough pelts on the horse to be that guy. But, yeah, I think more, more or less, and this is a dying breed a little bit in, co in co college or the NFL, was more of a, an overseer of the organization. I mean, had his hands in everything. Yes, like, you know, like my dad's ex-coach, Bill Parcells, he wasn't coaching the offense or the defense, but he'd walk into a meeting and go, oh, we can't do this. We should do this. We got to attack that guy because that makes sense. And I think Don Shula had a lot of those you know, same similar traits where, yeah, he wasn't into every X's and O and I got to have a good play for third down, but he's on the sidelines telling his coaches, managing the game, letting them know what he sees and leading them in the right direction. I think that's kind of the greatness of Don Shula. Uh, but, you know, sorry to see him pass. Certainly one of the great coaches and figures in the history of the NFL. So many stars that he coached throughout the years. So many Hall of Famers, even going back to Baltimore and Miami as well. Did have some good backup quarterbacks, and perhaps one is going to make my list of top five backups of all time. I know you're waiting with bated breath to see who I, I picked wait. for that, that top five, Chris. But I'm excited, and I don't know if this is the, uh, the quarantine finally getting to me, but when I found out earlier today that we had expanded your top five current backup quarterbacks in the NFL to the top ten, I was, I was very excited, like more excited than I should have been because legitimately when I was looking over the, the best backup quarterbacks in or just all the backup quarterbacks in the NFL, I was like, there's actually a pretty decent amount of guys who you'd feel comfortable if the starter went yeah. down. Yeah, no doubt about it. You're right. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll continue to argue. We don't have a quarterback problem in the NFL. We have a good offensive coordinator problem in the NFL. Would it be my biggest, my biggest question or issue you know, but I think there's plenty of quarterbacks and we're going to name some backups here that have played big time playoff football and been in the Super Bowl and all those type of things, too. But yeah, well, it started off as a top five. But thanks to your text message uh, during the weekend where you said, oh, I'd like to see a top 10, it became a top 10. So thank you, pro producer Ahmed, for, you know, making me have to work a little bit more and compile this list. I really appreciate that. I mean, it's nothing like your top 40 that you're going to be coming up with of uh, all quarterbacks in the NFL who, hey, if last year's any indication, some of the, the top ones on this list will, uh, of course, they have to be on your, uh, on your top 40 yeah. list. So we'll get a sneak preview of the bottom few players on your top 40 list. Uh, before we start, we need to clarify one thing. Uh, Nick Foles in Chicago. You picked him when you were doing this with Mike Florio. 
as one of your top backups, he yelled at you. He berated you because he said Nick Foles is the starter in Chicago. So are we counting Nick Foles as a backup for our practice today? We are. We are counting Nick Foles as a backup. You know, I, I look at it like this. I mean, you know, again, do I think – I think ultimately Nick Foles will probably be the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears. I would advise the Bears to start Nick Foles because I think it puts Mitchell Trubisky in a no-win situation. But they have not come out and declared that. And here's my other thing to just say Nick Foles is a backup for right now at least. I think when they open up training camp, Mitchell Trubisky is going to get the respect to get the first-team reps. You know, he was the guy that took them to the playoffs two years ago. So it'll start that way as Foles being the backup. And then we'll see as training camp and preseason goes where it goes from there, certainly. And I know Vegas has Nick Foles favored to be the starting quarterback. Hey, Vegas has been wrong before. Vegas said that, you know, the Lions were going to draft Tua. They were wrong. Sorry. So they don't know everything. Uh, but, yes, I'm, I'm counting Nick Foles as a backup quarterback for now, Ahmed. You okay with that? So he's, I am, so he's on your list. But what is really interesting to me to think about, just say that Nick Foles is the starter, would Mitchell Trubisky be on your top 10 list? <laughs> That's a very good question. I actually <laughs> right? thought about that. I did think about that. And yes, I think ultimately he would be on my list. I did. But okay. I, yeah. almost, I, almost, I almost was going to be funny and have a list and put them both on there and just go, they're both backups. I don't know what else <laughs> to tell you. Uh, but uh, but I tried to play it by the letter of the law, and I think as of right now, Trubisky is the starter, but I'm not so sure how long that lasts. Yeah, you got to go with one. It's against the rules. Do not break the rules of our top 10 backup quarterback rankings in the NFL. So we'll start at the bottom of the list for you, the number 10 backup quarterback currently in the NFL. Kyle Allen, for now the Washington Redskins oh, football wow. team. But yes, okay. I liked what I, I saw think you were that Kyle Allen. I didn't think you – I thought there were definitely – well, maybe as a starter. As a starter, yes. you think there are some serious deficiencies. Well, Ahmed, yes, I crapped on him a few weeks during the year because people were going, oh, I think he's better than, than Cam Newton. Oh, I think the Panthers are better with Kyle Allen. And I had to stop that crap. So, yes, by doing that, I just tried to show you, listen, Kyle Allen's not Cam Newton. But as a backup quarterback, yeah, he's, he's the perfect backup quarterback. You know, really, he's – He's a fringe on the very end, you know, could be a starting quarterback, bridge-type quarterback. I think he is that type of talent. But good size, good athlete, you know, has a good arm. It's a little bit above average NFL arm to where he can make all the throws. And we saw him deliver in some big moments and playing a lot of big games this year. Certainly. Was it perfect? No. Did it, you know, fall apart a little bit at the end of the year? Yes, okay, I'll say that. But the Panthers were kind of falling, falling apart altogether towards the end of the year, especially when they kind of unexpectedly fired Ron Rivera. But I think he's the perfect guy to be a backup because if you got talent on your offense, he can make it work. You're not going to have to like, oh, whoa, we got to scale back the offense. Our, our Kyle Allen's not good enough to do some of this. No, you'll be able to run the normal offense, maybe not as high a level as you would with the starter, but – uh, there's, there's plenty to like about Kyle Allen's game. And a lot of these backups, you know, you obviously you'll see them in injury situations, but a few of them, you could see you know, Ryan Tannehill last year. That was a performance-based situation. Right. How crazy would that be? I don't know if it would be that crazy. You got a new coach in Washington. You got a second-year quarterback in Dwayne Haskins that showed some good things, also showed some bad, bad things. You know, it, it's possible that Kyle Allen comes in in a non-injury situation to Dwayne Haskins at some point in the year. 
I, I don't mean it's not sure. I mean, they brought Kyle Allen in there because Ron Rivera knows what he's getting. He understands that he'll be able to run the offense, right? You know, with Scott Turner being there from Carolina. So it's going to be a similar offense there. And I think they brought Kyle Allen just to put somebody behind Dwayne Haskins to give him a little bit pressure, right? It's not like, oh, my gosh, this guy's so talented. He's going to show me up at practice every day. But he's good enough to where guys will walk off the practice field on some days if Dwayne Haskins isn't on his game and go, man, Kyle Allen looked good today. He looked good. He's, he's executing the offense and making some plays. So he's just the right amount of threatening to the starter who should have more talent than him to make the starter always be a little on edge to go, I better bring my A game today because I know this guy's consistent and got a little talent and he could show me up, uh, you know, with just his consistent ability if you're not careful. So Kyle Allen, number 10, who's number nine for you? Backup quarterbacks currently in the NFL. Brian Hoyer, New England Patriots, is where I'm going to go at number nine. I mean, Brian Hoyer is really the perfect backup, as we've seen. And again, a lot like a lot of these guys, you know, has back-end starting NFL capabilities or traits. I mean, we saw that a few years ago, a few years. Starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns, starting quarterback for the 49ers while they figured out their quarterback situation. But the one thing I'll say about Brian Hoyer, you know, and I've known him for a long time, and and seen him practice in person and everything like that. He's a bigger man than people realize. He's a better athlete than people realize. And he's got a better arm than people realize. And, of course, has been well-schooled and taught well by some good coaches around the NFL, Shanahan, Belichick, McDaniels, all those guys, to where he knows, you know, how to play the game. And I don't think any situation would be too tough for him. So, yeah, I like Brian Ware, certainly. And he's a very valuable backup this year, an unproven Jared Stidham up there in New England where, yeah, he's going to know the offense better than Jared Stidham and be able to teach him things and, and kind of be an angel on his shoulder. Spoiler alert, he is an honorable mention for me when I was looking through the uh, all-time best backup quarterbacks just because he's done it for so long. Right. Uh, he has lost his last 13 games as a starter, so it hasn't been going great for him when he has had the, uh, the main gig here lately. But before that, had a 16-9 and record. As a starter for the Browns, Houston, Chicago, we're not talking great teams here. Maybe his biggest yeah. accomplishment, 2013-2014 with the Browns, he was 10-6 and six as a starter for Cleveland in those years during these really pitiful years in, in, for Cleveland. So he's had, yeah, you're right, not only is a capable backup, but when he's been elevated to the starter, he's had some success for sure. No, no doubt about it. You know, and you know, you got to remember with a lot of these guys, sometimes they get put, you know, to your right. I mean, it's a little... You know, it, it wasn't great last year with the Colts. There was some good, and then it, it kind of got a little off track there. But, again, he signed in the middle of the year. He's trying to learn a new offense that he's never been a part of and everything like that. It wasn't an easy situation. But, you know, to your point, too, with the record and things not going as well, you know, hey, he had to play on a crappy 49er team. You know, he had to play for a Browns team that we know wasn't that talented. But, damn, went 10-6. and six. That says a lot. You know, so – you know, he's another guy, like a lot of these guys, where not going to lose you games. You know, he's pretty smart, knows how to take care of the football, and every now and then can make a big play to give your team a little advantage and help you win the game, too. Number eight. Who's number eight on your list for top backups currently in the NFL? Number eight is RG3, Robert Griffin III, down in okay. Baltimore. Yep. I, I mean, first off, I'll just start off with this. I, I really, RG3 to me is – 
I wanted to put him above number eight. I think he's talent-wise, like, in the conversation from one of the five best backup quarterbacks in football. I mean, there's a reason he was the number two pick in the NFL draft. You know, my, the reason I do put him number eight is just because it's been a while since he's played. You know, he hasn't played quarterback in a whole in a, in a, in a little bit. And, you know, I love what I saw from him in the preseason last year. You know, there's there's like when you just talk about physical ability with RG3, you know, we know he can run. He has a special, special arm. I mean, a big time arm, like an elite NFL type of arm that way. You know, the reason RG3 got got kicked out of Washington, it wasn't because of lack of talent and other things like that. It was kind of immaturity. But, hey, he went to Cleveland. He got named the starter. They were going with him. Then he got hurt. You know, and he kind of now is going to have to revive his career as being a backup quarterback. But, you know, I don't have any doubt that if Lamar Jackson went down, RG3, yeah, he's not going to be able to run around like Lamar Jackson can. That's special. But I think he can run that Baltimore Ravens offense and do it at a pretty high level. I mean, his skill set, whether you like the guy or not, is special. You're always going to miss, you know, a beat when the starter goes down, especially when the starter is the – league MVP and one of the top quarterbacks in the game in Lamar Jackson, but similar styles of play, you know, Griffin, not exactly what he was when he first came up, but that's a, that's a benefit to teams out there too. You always heard that with, with Colin Kaepernick and the rumors out there of like, why isn't Colin Kaepernick getting a job? One of the reasons was coaches didn't want to have to change the whole playbook just when the, uh, if the starter went down. I, it's very real. You know, I think he's got a very, you know, what's the phrase I want to say transient style where, you know, he could be a backup for Tom Brady and run a drop back pass offense, but he can be a, you know, a backup for Lamar Jackson and do some of the creative things they want to do in the run game too, and then still do, you know, the drop back pass stuff. So that's where to me is exciting. And to your point, I think you're spot on. I mean, to me, that's big. Why would you want to change the DNA, the approach, the culture of your offensive scheme when the starter gets hurt and go, oh, now we have to change everything around. We can't do anything that we were meant to do or that we were built to do because we have a different quarterback in. No, Baltimore is very smart. They got a guy that has a similar skill set to their starter. And you're right. The wheels won't fall off if Lamar Jackson goes down because they'll still be able to do what they do for the most part. Just maybe not as a high level to, to your point. And it's kind of a backwards way of thinking about it when you really do kind of Think about what that, that means. Like, say, for example, on the defense, your best defensive player is a linebacker and he goes down, you put in the backup linebacker. Why would you ever want to change your defense now to, to tailor your, exactly. your, your uh, schemes to the guy that's worse in the position that you just lost? I mean, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so I, I think no, that's it a, does not. a good way to think about it. Uh, number seven, the number seven current backup in the NFL. I'm going Marcus Mariota, Las Vegas Raiders. Mm. All right. And you know, as I sat here and did this, I went, damn, Marcus Mariota's number seven? You know, I was a little, I'm not going to lie, I was a little surprised he was this low, too, on my own list. But, you know, my thinking is, there, there's a, a lot of things that go into my thinking. You know, I, listen, I like Marcus Mariota. He's another guy that, you know, has potential to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Just, he needs to be, he needed to change a scenery, somebody else to coach him. He needs to grow his game. You know, there's some issues with this game. You know, he's got a good arm. It's not a great arm. He's a good thrower, not a great thrower. You know, he's decent accuracy, not great accuracy. You know, that's my – right there would be my start with Mariota is just 
My complaint with him as a starter in Tennessee was too many slam dunk completions for good NFL quarterbacks that were left on the field as incompletions by Marcus Mariota. You know, so between that and yes, he's a good athlete, but he doesn't run or scramble as much as he should. Uh, and, you know, Marcus Mariota's got a little bit of a turnover issue, too. You know, until this year going into the, the regular season, I mean, he was kind of neck and neck with Jameis Winston as far as turnovers were concerned. I think that kind of flies under the radar under Mariota a lot of the times. Um, so, listen, he's played some big-time football. We know that. I like a lot of things that he does. I also am big in when the backup comes in, he gives your team juice, right? There's energy. Oh, okay, hey, he's in here. We're okay. Everything's good. You know, Mariota is very flatlined. It's good. But also at the same time, you know, there's times in Tennessee where I just wanted to be like, hey, would you cuss somebody out or show some emotion or, you know, be disappointed your team's like not winning or moving the ball? So those are the reasons I think ultimately I have him at number seven, recognizing there is some some high-end talent here to where, yeah, I mean, he's another guy that I'd put on that list as a back-end NFL starter, but he's he's in backup bill now, Ahmed. He's going to have to yeah. wait his turn, hopefully get on the field at some point and kind of reprove to everybody that he is an NFL starting quarterback. It's funny you put him at seven and part of me thinks it's too low and then part of me thinks it's too high as well. It just a matter of his potential and what we thought maybe he could exactly. be when he was drafted right. to what we're realizing the kind of quarterback that he is. And I think you heard his name out there when he went over to Las Vegas. And of course, as you know very well, John Gruden loves to collect quarterbacks and is Derek Carr on, on thin ice out there. People saying that Marcus Mariota could be the Ryan Tannehill of this year, the guy that uh, actually replaced him last year in Tennessee. I think I, I, I don't see that as much. You know, it's just I don't know that we've seen enough from Marcus Mariota. I think we've seen the flashes from Ryan Tannehill in the past. Right. I don't know that right. we've seen those at least recently enough for Mariota to make me believe that he's going to wow in practice and just co come up and steal Derek Carr's job in Las Vegas. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I was way more, I, you know, w listen, when, when Tennessee signed Ryan Tannehill last year, and, you know, I know Florio has heard me say this. I don't know if you heard me or not, but when they signed him, I said, Tannehill will be the starter. I, I guarantee it. You know, I, I put it because cause of what you said. He was a lot better in Miami than people wanted to give him credit for. First off, it was a crappy team, and yes, he dealt with some injuries. But your point is real. He showed some some moments in his career where we went, damn, this guy's good. Damn, look at all those good throws. Whoa, they won again. I don't know who his receivers are or his offensive linemen, but they won. I don't know how they did it. You know, so he's a little bit more talented than people wanted to give him credit for. I think people saw that this year. And – yeah, with Mariota, I think, you know, some of the questions you bring up are, are real. They are. They, you know, this, there's still some questions that are out there about uh, a guy like Marcus Mariota and what he can bring to the table. And, you know, I, I, again, I'm going off the top of my head here, but I think, like, I want to say the year the Tennessee Titans went to the playoffs a few years ago and Mariota got his one playoff win, you know, I think he threw 13 touchdowns and 15 interceptions. It wasn't like he blew it out of the water. Are you looking that up as I talk here? I'm looking it up. Um, 2017. Yeah. yeah. 13 believe, touchdowns, yeah. 15 interceptions. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. See, I got a photographic memory. memory. I'm pretty good with that crap. That's yep. When it comes to jersey numbers and stats and things like that, I'm usually in the ballpark. And uh, yeah, you know, again, I like Mariota, but yeah, there's some things in his game that need to be improved. Yeah, it was the lowest touchdown percentage 
of his uh, career, and it looks like the highest interception. So in many respects, that might have been his, his worst year. It was the year they went to the, uh, the playoffs in 2017. All right, so he's number seven. Who missed out on your top five? Who is number six in the current hierarchy of backup quarterbacks? Uh, Jacoby Brissett. He just misses out on the top five. Yeah. And, you know, hey, everybody knows I was very high on Jacoby Brissett. What we saw early last year, I was going, damn, this guy is playing like one of the 10 yeah. best quarterbacks in football. Uh, you felt I, you know, betrayed I now when, with his performance down the stretch. You felt like he let I, you down because you were so high on him. He definitely did let me down. There's no doubt, you know, and I think that's, of course, the reason they went out and got Phillip Rivers. And we heard a lot of rumors about the quarterback situation and with Indianapolis altogether, because, yeah, it just it really went downhill in a hurry towards the end of the year. You know, like I told you during the season and, and I've talked about it a few times here in the offseason, just, you know, too many bad decisions, too many errant throws. You know, and of course, they didn't win games necessarily down the stretch to where he could justify himself as a starting like I'm the bona fide NFL starting quarterback. You know, I think the Colts, I think, again, here's another guy that I wouldn't be shocked if he's a starter at some point later on in his career. He's big. He can really throw the football. He's got a very strong arm, perfect spirals. I mean, he can make game changing type throws. In an instance where he could throw like a 40-yard corner route and all of a sudden you're going, whoa, they're in, they're in field goal position. He flipped the field. Uh, he can break tackles behind the line of scrimmage and make plays in the pocket like we saw him at the end of the Denver Broncos game where he led the team in a, a clutch drive against one of the better defenses in football. So those things are good. But I think, you know, ultimately what the Colts looked at is they probably were a little like, man, we feel like we got a team that's ready right now. And I'm not so sure our quarterback's ready right now. And I think that's why they went out to try to get a guy like Phillip Rivers, because they want to capitalize on a team that I think they're looking at to go. They think they're probably, they probably look at themselves certainly as a playoff contender, but a Super Bowl contender. You know, there's a lot of depth and young talent on that team. And we know how dangerous they were just two years ago in the playoffs with Andrew Luck. That threw their organization a curveball. Uh, but Jacoby Brissett, you know, I still got hope for him, and I still think he's, of course, one of the better backups in football. Yeah, the coaches last year did say that his knee injury did play a role in his struggles in the second half. But then, to your point, you know, the team still looked at that and said, we still would like to upgrade at the quarterback position. And so they went out and got Phillip Rivers. And you do think of the roller coaster for Jacoby Brissett, right, over the last 15 months or whatever. You got Andrew Luck, you're the backup there. Oh, no, you're the starter. You find out through preseason you go through the season as a starter, you get hurt, and then this offseason you're replaced and back to the backup once again. And it, it's kind of the mentality that is not – I don't think you are used to as a quarterback coming no. up. I mean, for, for you too. I mean, it was similar career where it's like you're the starter, you're the guy in Texas, and then you got to adjust to not being the guy, but then you're elevated to that position, but then you got to look behind you. That's a, that's a tough situation that Jacoby's had to navigate the past year. No, it's very tough. As tough as it gets. You know, you're right. First off, he came in there to Indianapolis, uh, what was that, two years ago, and, like, had no no notice, right? Had to learn the offense in a hurry and, and, yeah. and just go with it, right? And just, there was nothing. Like, oh, hey, you got eight days, and you're going to have to be the starter, and you got to get out there. Then last year, you know, hey, he's, he's sitting there going, I'm the backup, but I got first-team reps in the spring, at least, because Andrew Luck didn't practice or do anything like that. but 
yeah, you know, you're just not mentally thinking you're going to be the starting quarterback and then have that thrusted upon you. Not to say, I mean, he was ready, but there is something to say about kind of gearing yourself up all offseason and knowing you're the starter and being the anointed leader of the football team and, you know, being able to get all the first team reps in training camp and all that, which he did mostly. He got all that anyways for, for uh, because of the Andrew Luck situation. But, uh, you know, ultimately, I like Brissett. And I know Pete Demolitis just texted, could he envision, you know, Philip? could I envision Philip Rivers being benched for a Jacoby Brissett? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can. You know, if Phillip Rivers goes on one of those three or four week tears like we saw last year where it's just one dumb interception after another, yeah, they're going to pull him and they're going to throw in a Jacoby Brissett. I mean, hey, they are paying Brissett, what, $15 million? So uh, I, I think if they feel like Rivers can't get it done as being too careless with the football, they won't be afraid to go to, to go to Brissett. He is number six on your list of top backup quarterbacks currently in the NFL. We're into your top five now. Who's number five? Taysom Hill will be my number five, okay? And, yes, I mean, Taysom Hill, okay, this is an interesting one, all right? I mean, Taysom Hill, out of, like, the rest of these guys we talk about, I think has greater potential than just about all of them that we're going to get into here in the top five. But there's, like, a little caveat here with Taysom Hill. You know, one, okay, first off, he's going to bring juice to your football team. He's got a special skill set. We know that, right? But – Hasn't played a lot of football as a quarterback. I mean, he really hasn't. You know what? Is he? He's yet to throw a touchdown pass in his NFL career, right? Am I right about 15, that? Or is he thrown I one? think fifteen. No, I don't think he has fifteen passes yeah. total in his career. So yeah, I mean, right. he hasn't thrown the ball that so, much. It's it's been impactful when he has, but it has been infrequent. Yes, it's infrequent. So listen, I'm docking him a little bit for that. You know, the New Orleans Saints are paying him $16 million, one, because he's a big weapon for their football team right now, and they're paying him for what he can be in the future. They're not paying him for what he's done or what he is exactly as a finished product right at this second. No, they've made an investment in this guy, and they furthered that investment to make sure they can lock him up for a few more years and capitalize on it. But the, the, here's another reason I dock him just a little bit, because – You know, as a backup quarterback, Ahmed, I don't think you can necessarily take advantage of the full skill set. Just like we saw last year, they were reluctant to make him the backup quarterback because why? Okay, we're going to put him in the line of scrimmage. You know, we're going to make him run, smash mouth football. He's going to get beat up and all that. Okay, well, if he gets hurt playing that style of football, oh, now the other guy comes in and, man, we don't have a backup. So, You know, he's not ideal for that situation necessarily. I think that's probably why I docked him a little bit because the great vast skill set that he does bring to an offensive football team, you kind of got to pull the reins back uh, when he does get in the game because you don't want him to get hurt to where, oh, man, now we're down to one quarterback on our team too. You know, so I think between that and the fact that he just hasn't played a whole lot at the quarterback position, is the reason I make him, you know, the number five backup quarterback, but totally realize the potential is more special than maybe just about anybody on this list. The potential certainly there. He's borderline for even being eligible for this list, really, though, because when you think about it, you know, Drew Brees goes down. It's not going to be him. By, like last Probably year with not, Bridgewater. right. 
Right. Uh, they're going to keep him out in, in how he's most valuable. Certainly probably the most valuable. He, he will be probably the most valuable player in your top 10 as a football player and what he'll bring. But as a backup quarterback, who knows how much uh, he'll play in that role this year. So he's number five. Who do you have number four? Case Keenum. Case Keenum of the Cleveland Browns. The underrated, disrespected Case Keenum. I mean, that's what he is. You know, I mean, poor Case Keenum. And it's kind of like what you said to start the segment. It's, you know, guys like him sometimes, you know, they just, they get thrown into crappy situations. And we sit there and we hold it against them where I just want to go, oh, the Redskins weren't very good last year. It wasn't Case Keenum's fault. When he had a little support, you saw what he did, you know, with, with the Minnesota Vikings. He's capable of winning some big games, going to the playoffs, doing those type of things. But, like, the ideal backup, the ideal backup has everything. You know, it's a good arm. When you see Case Keenum throw in person, you go, damn, that ball pops out of his hands. He's accurate. You know, he's played a lot. He can throw from different platforms. He's athletic. You can run bootlegs, and he can get on the move or scramble. We saw that the year as he was a starter as the Minnesota Vikings. So, you know, I almost made him number three. It was very close between him and my number three. He's almost like a 3B, even though I'm making him number four. But, you know, listen, if Baker Mayfield went down to Cleveland this year, I don't sit here and go, oh, man, Cleveland's done. They're screwed. I mean, I'm going to sit here and go, damn, they'll be fine. Case Keenum, they'll be able to take a, utilize this offense and take advantage of those weapons. And he might be high on the list, too, where he would not need an injury. You, ne- you never know. If, if Baker Mayfield comes out and the Browns are struggling in the first four or five games, Stefanski has that relationship with Case Keenum. Here's another That's one right. of those backup quarterbacks where it, where it wouldn't surprise maybe a whole lot of people out there if he was elevated without an injury to the starter. Well, you know, again, we saw Baker Mayfield, like we just talked about with like Phillip Rivers, where last year he went through some stretches of just, man, inaccurate throws, interceptions, bad end-of-the-game decisions and management that way. You know, yeah, Case Keenum is a guy that is very consistent, like, you know, he, he has it all as a backup. He's going to know the offense. He loves the game. He can work. He's ready to go at all times. And then when he does get in there, he's a gamer. And uh, there's something to be said about that. And, you know, the bottom line is he's got more talent than people want to give him credit for, too. You know, he's just not a household superstar name. So people don't love that all the time. But really damn good backup quarterback slash borderline starting quarterback in the NFL. He will be in the Sims top 40. I can tell you that. And I think he was last year as well. Pete just texted us. Mayfield was second in interceptions last season. Rivers was third. Who's more likely to be benched for their backup this year? And you got those two backups pretty close in the rankings here. Yep. Well, the big thing is neither one of them should be benched this year. They got great offensive lines. They should be able to run, use, you know, rely on the run game a little bit. You know, they shouldn't be under tremendous pressure in the pocket. So, you know, there, yeah, there's no excuses for Philip Rivers or Baker Mayfield this year. If they're in the conversation for leading the league in the interceptions, then they're going to be in the conversation for being benched for one of these backups we just talked about. Your top three. We're into your top three backups currently in the NFL. Who is number three? Well, number three, I'm going to go with Nick Foles. Okay, big Nick Foles. I and he, you know, on my what do you mean? Draft, He's the starter in it. I'm I, yeah, my floor right. He's the starter. Don't be a lawyer like Florio, okay? Don't do that, all right? Um, But Nick Foles, 
is, you know, how can you argue about him be, not being one of the better backups in football? I mean, come on. He's one of the rare ones in the history of the sport that led a team to a Super Bowl win as being the backup quarterback. You know, he seemed to have struggled more as a starter than he does as a backup in a lot of ways. Uh, but again, I think the thing you like about Nick Foles being a backup quarterback is, you know, unfazed, certainly seems like when he gets in there, he's kind of just ready to go, you know, and the, the biggest thing I think that jumps out to me about Nick Foles and why I really like him as a player is his size. I mean, his size, and I know you hear me say this a lot, size is a skill. You know, go back and watch that Bears game when he was the Eagles quarterback. He was under pressure that whole game, and he was making big-time throws with people all over him and around him. And the same thing with the next week when they lost to New Orleans. So I think between playing experience, you know, size, of course, the confidence level, the fact that he knows he can lead a team and win a Super Bowl, all of those things, you know, makes him, of course, one of the best backups in football. And, you know, like we talked about to start the podcast, I think eventually he'll be the starter there in Chicago. He should be. You know, they're, they're, the second Mitchell Trubisky misses a pass, they're going to boo him and be calling for Nick Foles. So they might as well just start Nick Foles and let Trubisky play the uh, backup role once the season gets rolling. But for right now, he's the backup, and he's a damn good one at that. I mean, just think about how much more comfortable that situation is for Nick Foles, because you're right, you're almost, you can do no wrong. You're going into a situation where the fans are very skeptical of the starter already and feel like you probably should be the starter, and so it's like people are already in your corner. I, just think how much more comfortable that is than if he, he was still in Jacksonville and competing with Gardner Minshew. Isn't it? It's sure. crazy to think how you know a, a change of scenery and, and a situation where you're not you know, in maybe the same kind of competition as you were in Jacksonville last year but it's got to be so much easier for Nick Foles here. Well, yeah, it's almost like he's the Gardner Minshew now. He's he's the guy yeah. that everybody's like kind of fascinated to see. And, oh, you know, I, I hope he gets in there and does that. You know, Foles, it's a very interesting case study, his career. You know, he had the one great year as a starter, and that was it, really. And, you know, even they got a chance to, to come in and be the starter with the Kansas City Chiefs. It was underwhelming there. We know it didn't go well with the St. Louis Rams and all of that. You know, of course, gets unlucky last year and gets hurt. Let's not forget about the year before he was the starting quarterback as Carson Wentz was still getting healthy. And, you know, I think the Eagles went one and one to start, you know, start the year. Yeah. Uh, so the big thing with Nick Foles is if you have a good team and support system around him, he can take advantage of all those things. I think the big thing with Nick Foles and why he's not a starting quarterback is if your team is less than – He's just not the type of talent that can carry the team or make these extraordinary athletic plays like some of these starting quarterbacks in football. We, we do see, oh, their old line's banged up or, oh, they're missing a receiver. Oh, it doesn't matter. That quarterback's a baller. He'll make it happen. No, Nick Foles isn't that type of talent. But if you got talent around him, he'll know how to utilize it. He never blinks in the big lights of a big moment or anything like that. And like I said, his size and ability to throw the ball under pressure is very special. Nick Foles, number three in your top ten current backup quarterbacks. All right, so who gets the, the silver medal? The bronze goes to Foles. Who gets the silver? I'm going with Jameis Winston, okay? Uh, I thought right. you were going to put yeah. both of those Saints quarterbacks on here. I knew that was coming. They're both on there. They are. And, you know, Jameis Winston, I, when I first wrote, wrote, like, wrote my list out, because I wrote the list out like three different times, 
you know, I had them at like six and five and then, okay, wait, let me think about this. And then I did another one and I had them at four and, you know, I got to it first off, you know, this is a guy that has superstar potential. There's a reason he was the number one pick in the draft. I mean, he's, and as we've talked about so many times, you know, when you, if you watch the highlight reel of Jameis Winston, you'd go, damn, is he the best quarterback in football? Or is he one of the best quarterbacks in football? And you'd go, yeah, when he's not in his game, but here's the low light reel. And, you know, you just don't know what you're going to get. Now, a little bit is that the environment he's been in in Tampa and all of that, you know, the team around him, everything. But Jameis Winston still, to me, has the potential to be a superstar in football. And I think he's in the perfect spot to kind of revive his career and learn more football, learn how to play the position, learn that he doesn't have to always be the savior and be so aggressive and make every play in the history of mankind to make his team win. You know, Sean Payton's got a lot of good plays. You're not going to have to force 40-yard bombs down the field with seven people around you in the pocket throwing off your back leg anymore. Sean Payton will throw, get you a three-yard completion, and the guy might go 70 yards down the field. So, you know, there's going to be the pressure from that. But the biggest reason I make him number two, too, Ahmed, you know, is the Sean Payton effect. You know, that bumps him up a few spots. I mean, again, back doesn't matter who plays quarterback for the Saints. The numbers are always amazing. They're always good. They're always competitive. So Sean Payton's, I just believe, is going to clean up some of the issues with Jameis Winston. Hey, we saw Teddy Bridgewater go 5-0 and last year. You know, you go back to the last backup quarterbacks that played for the New Orleans Saints and Luke McCown. Man, when Luke McCown got in the games, he played really well too. They got a good offense, a good system, good players, and Sean Payton is arguably the best quarterback coach and offensive mind in the game. And I think that's worth bumping up a guy like Jameis Winston a little bit. He's going to get in the game and go, damn, I haven't had easy completions like this ever before in my life. This is amazing. You know, I don't have to stand in there and get crushed and throw a 50-yard bomb to Mike Evans. I could just throw a slant to Michael Thomas right here. This is amazing. I'm so much better now. Look, everybody, I'm a better quarterback. And that's, that's the Sean Payton effect. Yeah, Andy can see now, too. Got that corrective LASIK surgery done <laughs> That's right. in, uh, in February. And it does kind of change the conversation of who who's the future quarterback of the New Orleans Saints because, say, Jameis does correct some things and Sean's able to figure out ways to harness in his, uh, his cowboy nature and the 30 interceptions last year. I mean, he did lead the NFL in passing yards last year, over 5,000 uh, with, uh, with Bruce Arian. So it, it maybe changes the conversation about who takes over for Drew Brees after this year or two years in, into the future. And you do wonder, too, a little bit. It's, it's a different philosophy almost because a lot of times you think of the backup quarterback as a guy you don't want to screw it up. Like Teddy Bridgewater, I think, was that last year for the Saints, and he didn't. He went undefeated in the, in the games that right. he had to start. Jameis, you can see him screwing it up, but you also have the, the higher ceiling, like you mentioned, off the top, too. No doubt. That, that's going to be the scary thing about Jameis Winston as a backup quarterback. You know, and that's where I'm, I'm, you know, giving the Sean Payton effect a little credit here because, yeah. you know, uh, like we've talked about with Jameis before, he was with Bruce Arians who has that old saying like, you know, no risk it, no biscuit. You know, Sean Payton's going to be like, don't risk anything. My offense has plenty of biscuits and some honey and jelly and some butter to put on it too. So don't risk anything. He'll learn that he's not going to have to be Superman for them to win football games. Just like you said, Teddy Bridgewater was solid last year. 
Nothing more than that. But they had a good team, and he knew what he had to do to win the football game, and there's something to be said about that. And, you know, if Jameis Winston gets a feel for that, you know, and then to like what you're saying, if he got a five-game little package to play, let's say Drew Brees hurt his thumb again or something like that, Jameis Winston might wow some people too, to your point, to where you go, hey, yeah, this is like Teddy Bridgewater. We're doing good, but damn, this guy makes a whole lot of plays down the field and does some of those things like at an extraordinary level. So I'm very excited to see Jameis uh, in New Orleans. I'm a fan of Jameis. I, I see the potential, and we'll see if he can capitalize on it. Yeah, and if it doesn't work out with him, like you mentioned before, they got the rare third safety net or second safety net with Taysom Hill there, too. Right. So really, if Jameis is, right. is making too many mistakes, you do have somewhere else to go. So he's number two. Who is your number one current backup quarterback in the NFL? Is it, uh, hold on, hold on, Chase Daniel in Detroit for my, uh, my guy. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're very funny, very funny. Uh, funny joke. Ha, 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 funny joke. Uh, no, it's Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton will be number one, the new backup quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. You know, it just, as I thought about this for the last few days, you know, I just came away with, you know, Andy Dalton, man. I mean, you know, five years of playoff appearances. You know, he was a starting quarterback for a long time in the NFL, did a lot of good things. I mean, I understand he was never one of the five or 10 best quarterbacks in football. He definitely had some years where he was in the top half of the NFL, though. And, you know, we discredited him because he doesn't have like a real charismatic personality. He's kind of quiet, you know, and doesn't necessarily always show the energy and passion on the field, which I don't like sometimes. You know, he would be a little bit like how I we talked about with Marcus Mariota, where at times that when, when he was the starting quarterback for the Bengals, I want to be like, get pissed off. Yell at some people on the sidelines. Yell at your team. You know, it's just not acceptable. You know, those, those are the things that bothered me. But when you talk about, like, the ability to play the position, hey, I mean, this, this guy's smart. This guy has a very good arm. It's not a great arm, but it's very good. He is a good athlete. You know, he can get out of the pocket and make throws on, on the run. You, know, you, you can design, you know, plays of boot legs and things like that to throw in the run, too, where he's all. I mean, you know, he has everything you want. He's just one of those starting quarterbacks that, you know, he's never going to wow you. So where you always looked at him and went, okay, we're good, but man, we could find somebody better. He's kind of one of those types of guys. And yeah, he's been relegated to backup bill. But, you know, again, I think it's, he's a per, in a perfect spot. Went home to Texas. He's from there. And if he does get a chance to play, he's going to have a pretty good system and a, and a supporting cast around him to maybe revive himself again to become a, a quarterback in the starting quarterback conversation. So, yeah, I think Andy Dalton, we disrespect him too much, me included. Uh, I, I think I've done that too. But you got to respect the longevity, the consistency. I mean, he played in the AFC North, which we know had, was full of beasts. I mean, between the Ravens and the Steelers in the last decade, damn, there's a lot of good teams and defenses he had to play against. And they were very relevant and one of the best teams in that division for a long, long time. And that's why I give him the title as the best backup quarterback in football. We discussed him as being in a similar situation to Cam Newton, where you, you get cut and your opportunities are limited. I think Andy had more, and you guys discussed, because he, uh, he is seen as a, a guy that can go in and back up anyone out there. And, and he did it a little bit last year when uh, there was a changing of the guard with the Bengals. 
Cam Newton is going to want to go in and be the starter. But just say hypothetically here, say Cam Newton signs with a team to be their backup quarterback tomorrow. Where would he rank on your top 10 list right now, Cam Newton? Well, he's number one. I mean, yeah. I mean, God, you know, gosh. I mean, Cam Cam Newton's going to be – I'm going to put him above some of the starters in football right off the bat. I don't care if he's the backup or not. I'm going to go, well, that's – you know, he's the backup, but he's better than this team's starter and this team's starter and this team's starter, and we can go down the list. You know, again, you, know, you brought up Chase Daniel, right? Chase Daniel's yeah. the perfect backup quarterback because – He's never a threat to the starter at no point. I mean, I'm still amazed Chase Daniel has got a job as a backup quarterback. But that, to me, is where teams really miss out. And too many teams, you know, that flirt with that danger of these quarterbacks where, oh, he's good in our quarterback room or he understands the offense. Yeah, that's great. But when he goes on the field, he's not good. You know, and that's where I think a lot of these teams are very risky and rolling the dice where – their seasons are going to fall down the tubes if their starting quarterback gets hurt. Now, you can, you can roll the dice on that a little more this day and age because, like, of the quarterback rules and your inability to hit them, and they're so protected to where quarterbacks play the full length of the season a lot more than they did in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. You know, that's real. But, uh, you know, again, I think too many teams are worried about that aspect. The, oh, I want a quarterback that's not threatening to my starter. No, screw that. A great starter is going to rise to the challenge of having a good backup quarterback around him and prove to everybody that he's the starter and that guy's the backup. You know, that's the value of that, let alone it's a great security blanket for your team, like you've mentioned so many times already. I mean, the New Orleans Saints made an investment in a backup quarterback because, oh, man, if Drew Brees gets hurt, we don't want our our season to fall down the toilet. And that's why they had Teddy Bridgewater. And I think that's the exact reason the Dallas Cowboys went out and got Andy Dalton. And that's why Andy Dalton picked them too, because they realized we had a team that's got Super Bowl talent. We don't want to fall off earth if Dak Prescott goes down and all of a sudden we can't win football games at all. Yeah, I think there are a lot of teams out there missing an opportunity with, with Cam Newton as, as you do too, because back when I covered baseball, teams would do this, and the Oakland A's were really good at this. They would, they would look at their roster, and they go, where are we the strongest with our starting uh, staff, our starting players? And one year it was center field where they had Coco Crisp, and they go, he is one of our strongest players. And they go, where is the biggest opportunity for us to get crushed by an injury? And they all said, center field, because if he goes down, we really don't have a capable backup. So they invested right. in the guy. Even though center field was a super strong position for him, they invested in more center fielders, a good backup center fielder, because they knew if he went down at some point throughout the season that they were exposed. And I don't think enough teams are looking at it as like, where are we exposed? Yeah, maybe it's not great for team morale to have that quarterback controversy all the way through training camp. But if you're exposed at the quarterback position, the most important position in football and maybe all of sports, you got a, you got a big problem. So I think I think there are several teams that are missing the boat. They're thinking like you say. They don't yeah. want Cam to stir things up. But if you're exposed there and your quarterback goes down, you're going to wish you had. Yeah, definitely. Now, I mean, he's not going to sign with anybody, I don't think, at this point because he's not going to put himself as a backup quarterback. But, yeah. yeah, I think all the things you just said are very real. You know, I just – to me – and, again, to like what you're saying, you don't want a quarterback controversy. Well – you know, if you feel like, hey, we got a good starting quarterback and our backup quarterback's real good too, and there's not a lot of difference as far as the talent level, 
you know, it's on the job of the organization to make sure one looks like the starter and one looks like the backup. You know, it, it is. Whether you want to stage practice to give the better plays to the starter or whatever it may be, you know, at some point, if you're convinced that guy's your starter, you got to make it be known he is your starter and set him up for success in practice to continue that theme into the season, right? I mean, if the quarterback starts to play bad during the regular season and he's falling apart, then you don't have to worry about that. And then you go, okay, we got this backup. Screw trying to make the, back, the starter look good all the time. We need to start winning games. We got to get the backup ready to go. So that's where you're saying. And, you know, you know, your Coco Crisp analogy is great. You know, the New England Patriots, why do they collect 20 linebackers every year? Because it's a huge part of what they do. They're not going to let one or two injuries go, damn, we can't run our defense anymore. We're going to have to do something else. No, they collect a flock of them or herd of them. So if two go down, they can still run the same system. You know, and I, I think, you know, your point about Coco Chris is very real that way. Teams don't always protect their strongest assets on their team. Yeah. And if, if the Tennessee Titans had been scared about bringing Ryan Tannehill in because there of the you go. controversy with Marcus Mariota, they don't make it as far as they do as they do last year. Oh, real quick, and Pete brought this up, and I thought you might include a couple of the rookies on your list here, Justin Herbert, Tua, um, not Joe Burrow because he's the presumptive starter there, but, but why no Tua or Justin Herbert? I, I just didn't go there yet. You know, I, yeah. again, I know they're extremely talented. I'm, I'm not so sure Justin Herbert, you know, and Tua won't be the starters to start the year. Sure. I kind of just left it with what it is right now. Listen, those guys are going to be the starter at some point. They are drafted to be the face of the franchise. So I'm not really viewing them as in the backup light, okay? I guess that's my biggest reason. I know technically I could have involved them in this conversation. I, of course, love their, their you know, talent and what they bring. But, you know, these are guys that the organization is just going to be itching and looking for any reason to make them the starter. They're not like traditional backups. So that's why, that's why I went that route. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, so there's your top 10, your top 10 current 
backup quarterbacks. Should we take a stroll through all time right now, Chris? Oh, I can't wait. I am excited. All right, so I, this took this took a lot longer than I than I anticipated it would because I wanted to, you know, because technically, and you look up throughout the internet, you go, who, who are the best backup quarterbacks of all time? And some of the sites have listed Aaron Rodgers, you know, Steve Young, you know, Joe Montana. Yeah, that's not fair. That doesn't count, right? Like you say no. with Tua and Justin Herbert, you know, they're going to be the starters at, uh, at some point. So they had to be a, a backup for a significant part uh, of their career. Uh, and I had a, f- a few honorable mentions. Brian Hoyer was an honorable mention just because of the reasons that you mentioned. Uh, Sean Hill, I thought, has been a capable backup uh, coming out of uh, Maryland, he, backup quarterback for a so. lot of bad teams. Uh, right. He's quarterback San Francisco, Detroit, Rams, teams that weren't very good, and he's got about a 500 record. And get this for Sean Hill. Uh, touchdown to interception ratio, 49 to 30. I mean, that's pretty good for a backup quarterback on some bad teams to throw up those kind of numbers. Hey, he could play. He was a baller. I mean, Sean Hill, I played against him, I think, twice in my career, and I think he was the backup both of those times. And I remember looking at him just going, man, not a great body. What a weird, funky throwing motion. But when he got on the field, he could get it done. He could move around the pocket and throw that ball from all different weird angles and everything like that. I, you know, I always got a kick out of watching. I used to sit there and, like, giggle during warm-ups going, like, man, look at that crazy motion. How is he throwing it like that? I just was shocked by it. But had a great career. Really did. It's good that you mentioned him. He's honorable mention. Uh, Mike Tomzak, I threw in there as an honorable mention because he played some significant minutes for some Bears teams that were playoff teams, Steelers teams that made the playoffs as well. And uh, uh, third-round pick out of Texas in 2003, too, I threw in there. Chris Sims is one of my all-time great um, backup quarterbacks. Pete Demolemolitis made sure I, uh, I put you in. He added that in. in yeah, he would. What a jerk he is. <laughs> Pete, Pete Demolemolitis. Uh, yeah, there we go. There he is. Yeah, there I am, is You and Kyle Orton. Me and Kyle Orton. I mean, gosh, I remember being in that training camp. We're in Denver right there just going, this is amazing. I'm so glad I'm out of Tampa and Tennessee. It's not hot here. You know, I didn't care that it was 90 degrees. The humidity was gone. It was just such an enjoyable training camp that year and uh, had a lot of fun with, with Josh McDaniels and Kyle Orton. It's a weird life, Chris, and you, and you can speak to it, you know, better than most people because you come in, you're drafted, they're grooming you to be the starter, you get your chance, then maybe you get hurt, and you're now you're the backup. And like, I'm just kind of curious, what yeah. is it like? And I'm sure it's different with every every quarterback, but it's so competitive. I mean, can you have that closer relationship with the guys that you're competing with if you're the backup or the starter, or vice versa? You you can, you definitely can. You know, the one thing you you realize when you get to the NFL you know, pettiness stops. You're all grown men. You know, you've all gotten to a part in your career where you first off should be somewhat proud. Hey, we're getting, we're in the NFL. We made it. You're getting paid money to, to play a kid's game and all those types of things. And, you know, as competitive as I was, and I was in some backup situations where I was like, damn, I'm better than the starter. They're crazy. Right. It didn't matter. I still wasn't going to be like petty and a jerk to the starting quarterback. You know, I looked at them first off as people and respected them as people. So Brian Greasy, it'd be a perfect example. You know, my my third or third year in the NFL, I just was like, man, I I beat him out in training camp. I beat him out the year before in training camp, but I got hurt when I finally got a chance to be a starter. 
and he named Greasy the starter in 2005, and I was pissed at Gruden. I was like, I, you know, I don't get it. I, I don't. But I loved Brian Greasy the person, and I rooted for him because I saw what he worked and did and knew he loved the game as well. So was I itching to get my chance? Yes. I mean, itching. But was I sitting there going like, oh, Brian Greasy, throw interceptions, throw interceptions. I want to get in the game. No, I wasn't. I, I, I can say that from the bottom of my heart. Uh, I just knew just from the years and watching my dad that I had to be ready. And I always believed my time would come. I just always thought, man, it's the NFL. I'm going to get my chance. When I get my chance, be ready. Uh, it's easier said than done, but that's kind of the attitude you have to have. And these five quarterbacks were ready. They were ready when their number was called. They had some good performances, maybe a Super Bowl appearance. Number five for me, one of my favorite players to watch, and you work with him many Saturdays throughout the year uh, in South Bend, Doug Flutie. Doug Flutie is my number five all-time backup. You know, Jumped around in the NFL with the Bears and Patriots before going to Canada. Came back in 98, and this lines up when I was over at Syracuse, too, in college, and the Bills were on TV all the time. I loved watching Doug Flutie play, and they chose him over Rob Johnson, so Flutie finally got his, his chance there. Somehow they didn't start him in the Music City Miracle game, but he was just a, a fun guy to watch, and he was almost too good to be on this list because I think he could have been a starter for a lot of teams out yeah. there, but Doug Flutie was the backup to Rob Johnson because he got that big money, but then he just he won the job and then ran with it. Right. Well, I, I think it's an awesome pick by you. First off, like Flutie's one of those guys where I think if he plays in today's NFL, he's a star. You know, he was, you know, had to deal with a lot of like years of he's just too small to play quarterback. He can't play quarterback in the NFL. The NFL had not wrapped its brain around a Doug Flutie type quarterback yet. You know, he was really he was 20, 20 years ahead of his time, at least. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, when you talk about, again, ability to move and run, I have a catch with Doug, like, almost weekly when I'm at Notre Dame. Doug can really throw it. He really can. And he can throw it from a lot of different angles and different ways. So uh, I'm with you. I, I, Doug Flutie was a phenomenal backup. And you're right, kind of had starter-type talent. Kind of just got screwed over by – the culture or the era he was in where they just didn't view guys number 5'11 as starting quarterbacks in the NFL. So Doug is number five on my list of all-time great backup quarterbacks. Number four, Frank Wright. Jim Kelly's backup for eight of the 11 seasons there. Did just have a 5-15 and 15 record as a starter, so wasn't great when he filled in, except for the playoffs. 2-0 and in the playoffs, and of course that big win in 1993, the biggest uh, comeback. They were down 28 to three at halftime. Ended the game on a 35 to three run uh, against the Oilers. So Frank Wright, just for you know, it's it wasn't a prolonged period of time, but when your number is called in a big situation for a for a huge moment for a franchise, did you did you show up? And Frank did for a couple of games there in the playoffs. Uh, I wondered if you were going to have him on the list, and he de he deserves to be on the list. You're you're exactly right. You know, again, yeah, this is a guy that it wasn't Jim Kelly. Jim Kelly was a Hall of Famer. But when Frank Wright came into the game, you went, they got a chance. They're not out of this. You know, he could still run the offense and make big throws to Andre Reed down the field or, you know, uh, you know, Curtis Lofton. Uh, that was the other receiver, right? Curtis Lofton. So, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm with you. I, I think there's no doubt in my mind that Frank Reich is one of the five best backup quarterbacks of all time.
And just because he wasn't called on that much doesn't mean he wouldn't have been able to uh, to step up in some of those uh, other big situations. No, I agree. You're right. Great You're right. Teams. Uh, number three, guy who was also on your list, Chris, Nick Foles, is my number three backup quarterback of all time. Three wins uh, in the playoffs in 2017, of course, uh, including the Super Bowl win over the New England Patriots. Finished the regular season 6-1 and one as a starter. Uh, the passing rating wasn't great in the regular season, but then he really did. It wasn't just like they were winning in spite of him in the, in the playoffs in that run. Right. For Nick Foles, I mean, in those three playoff games, I looked up the numbers. He completed 73% of his passes. He had six touchdowns, just one interception, quarterback rating of, of 115. And they had to throw the ball a ton in that Super Bowl game. He threw it 43 times and three touchdowns, 373 yards. And so talking about stepping up in a, in a big situation, oh. Nick Foles has, has done that. Yeah, I mean, that, that I, I can just, you know, that was a Super Bowl on NBC, that one in Minnesota between the Eagles and Patriots. I can still remember sitting there just going, you know, when's Nick Foles going to throw the interception to lose the game? I just kept going, there's no way. He's not going to keep, yeah. like, keep pace with Tom Brady and the Patriots. There's just no way. And then you look at the third quarter and you're going, damn, he's keeping pace. And then the fourth quarter, you're going, all right, this, this is Brady time. Nick Foles will choke it off here. And I can remember just sitting next to Tony Dungy and Rodney Harrison and just a few times in the fourth quarter looking at each other going, damn, that was a good throw. Or holy cow, that was a big moment, and he delivered. So uh, I, I got no disagreement there. I mean, that was one of the great stories in the history of football, and he capitalized in a big way. Nick Foles, uh, very good in the playoffs especially. Number two, you might not like this one. I know who it is. It's all right. Don't worry. Jeff Hostetler. Yeah, it's filling okay. In, filling I mean, in for your dad. Filling in for yeah. your dad. He had to wait a long – he was – I didn't realize how long he was the backup. You know, he was like 29 right. years what, old 84, in that 85, is that when he came into the NFL? Drafted uh, in the third round, 1984. Didn't start a game until okay. 88. Had only started two games before that 1990 season. Right. Um, so, yeah, he waited six and a half years to get that chance. And then he led the Giants to that Super Bowl 25 uh, victory when your dad went down with the broken foot. Um, so he's number two. I'm sorry, Chris. Did, I, I don't. I, I know that you played pranks on Jeff. I don't know if he's found out about that. Well, he knows uh, now. Since. I've said it many times. <laughs> I did put shaving cream in his cleats for sure. Yes. Um, what was that relationship like? I know. I know your dad didn't. I mean, he's super competitive. I, I'm sure he wasn't liking all the talk of how how great he did, even though you you won a Super Bowl and you're happy for your team. Yeah, well, I think my dad, first off, is very grateful. I mean, you know, it did, it did get my dad another Super Bowl ring, you know, and eventually yeah. that'll be, you know, probably my ring. I hope my dad passes that down, or at least it's one of us kids is going to have it. But, you know, so I think my dad's very grateful for that aspect. I know he had a really good relationship with Jeff Hosteller. In fact, when my dad got hurt that year in the regular season game, they were playing the Buffalo Bills. So, they, again, you know, they were going to play in the Super Bowl. My dad broke his foot. I remember being in traffic after the game and Jeff Hosteller was in the car behind us. We didn't know that, but he must have saw my blonde head and real, recognized my wife. He got out of the car in the middle of traffic to tell my mom and me, the rest of the family, like what, how dad was and you know, what, you know, what he had heard about the injury because we hadn't talked to my dad yet. You know, he, had, he was still yeah. in in the, in the locker room, you know, with the doctors and doing all that. So we were on our way home and 
Yeah, so I, I think my dad's very grateful for that time. And Jeff Hosteller, yeah, that was an amazing run. A lot like Nick Foles, where he took over at first, yes. and the fan base went, ooh, it doesn't look that great. They're going to have to play defense and run the ball. But then when they got in the playoffs, he really raised his level of game. And it was more than just the defense in the run game. I mean, Hostetler made a lot of big throws against the Bears in the divisional playoff game, the 49ers NFC Championship game, and, of course, the Super Bowl. Yeah. Only went to one more uh, playoff game. Oh, won one more playoff game after that. Uh, that was with the, the Raiders, Raiders in, uh, right. in 1993. Yep. So he's yep. number two. Number one for me, though, and I'll be quite honest with you, I wasn't really familiar with him until I looked him up. Earl Morrill. Have you heard of him before? Of course I have. I mean, I live on NFL films. That's what That's I do. <laughs> I call myself a historian. So, yeah. yes, I know Earl Morrill. I mean, the great Earl Morrill. Damn guy had a deal with Johnny Unitas, and then he had a yeah. deal with Bob Greasy in, in Miami. But, uh, yes, I would say he's probably the best backup quarterback of all time, in my opinion, as well. So he was a rookie in San Francisco, played with Y.A. Tittle. He was traded for Bobby Lane. He was uh, back up to Fran Tarkenton. He played with Johnny Unitas. He played with uh, Bob Greasy. It was like all the great quarterbacks from that era. He was there Seriously. and associated with them. He played the entire 1968 season for Johnny Unitas, went 13-1, and won the MVP. Uh, lost Super Bowl three though, to the Jets and, and Joe Namath that year. And then 1972, following Don Shula again, he was there in Miami, started 11 games for that undefeated team. And I feel like that's not talked about. Uh, no, a, a it's lot not. That, you know, who, was the, who was the quarterback that led the undefeated team to most of those wins? It was Earl Morrill filling in for, for right. Bob Greasy. Right. It, it's, uh, you know, I, you, know you, you look back and, and read the history of that. I think there was a lot of controversy about putting Greasy back in, you know, in the playoffs in or the towards the end of the season. Right, right at the Super because Bowl. Mo- Final game. It was right at the Super Bowl. Is that what it was? It was right at the Super Bowl? Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's that's a – a gutsy move by an organization to do that. You know, the, the, the guy hasn't played for that long, and you're going to throw him back in there in the Super Bowl. But, yeah, Earl Morrill, you know, just like we talked about with my top ten list and, of course, in your top five list where you go, yeah, he's the greatest backup of all time. If you put him in, like, the right situation, he could have been a really good NFL starting quarterback too. It just got unlucky, you know. Yeah, like yeah. you said, you named off some of the guys he was behind, and – yeah, he could have been better than, you know, 20 other quarterbacks in football, starting quarterbacks in football, but he was on the damn team where he couldn't even say he was the best quarterback on his team because those guys were, were superstars. I know. And a caveat with that Miami team, you know, they did have one of the best running attacks of, of all time. He right. didn't throw the ball all that often in the playoff games that he started for them. Uh, Miami ran the ball respectively 47 and 49 times. <laughs> they did have a but good running game. He didn't, but, it. hey. Exactly. Uh, Pete's unhappy. He goes, big omission. Jim Plunkett, two Super Bowls, started both seasons as the backup. I put him as a starter, though, mostly. We, but I guess he was the I, backup you know, the two times they it, won the Super Bowl. It's a, it's, a, it's a tough one there. I wasn't sure where you would go with Jim Plunkett. You know, I didn't know what you'd do there. Uh, I, I kind of think I view it the same way. I don't really view him as a backup. You know, yeah. and I also want to say, like, how come he never gets any recognition or talk about for the for the you know Hall of Fame? I understand. Yeah, there are like, people like Pete out there that think of him as a backup quarterback. Yeah, well, I mean, he was the number one overall pick to the New England Patriots. Yeah. The Patriots stunk at that time. 
And he had to go to the Oakland Raiders to, to kind of revive his career. And he, you know, made that move. And of course, to win two Super Bowls, we never even talk about him as being one of the, the better quarterbacks of all time. He kind of get him and Tom Flores, the coach of those teams, I feel like they get cheated yeah. as far as being talked about, you know, in the all-time great conversation. That was fun. Uh, I think we went too long, though, talking about that. I don't think we have time for our, our AMA questions that were left over from before. Okay, well, Chris, we're going to hit some is... Thursday. I know that for sure, too. Okay, all right. Save Because there are some good ones, including one from MPM that starts out with Amazing Pod. So whenever someone asks a question but starts it with complimenting the podcast, we automatically read their question. So that'll, well, that'll be Well, I mean, do you want to go read. with the rest of the question, or are we just going to do that? That's all you were, you're excited to talk. Okay, let's do it. All right, let's do one. We'll do one. Uh, we'll do one since question. the guy said it's an amazing pod. I mean, we've we'll, <laughs> we got to give him a little love here. Uh, since we're talking quarterbacks, these are two guys that uh, are now the starters of their teams. He goes, do you think Lamar Jackson can legitimately challenge Patrick Mahomes to be considered the best player in football? If not, why not? If yes, what's the timetable? And does Baltimore have to win a Super Bowl to have this conversation? So you think Patrick Mahomes is number one. He has passed your other man crush in, in Aaron Rodgers in uh, the NFL. But is it is it that outlandish to think that Lamar Jackson can't overtake that top spot? No, it's not. It's not outlandish. Not, not at all. No, I mean, you know, he's got everything in the toolbox to be the best player in football. Uh, am I giving Patrick Mahomes the, the title holder right now? Yes, I am. You know, I think you know my top five quarterbacks. I don't, you know, I, I got Lamar at number five right now. And it's not easy. I, I, you know, I understand that. It's not easy to make a top five. But yeah, if you make me make my five, I'm going to go Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson. I'm going to put Aaron Rodgers four and Lamar Jackson five. Okay. But Lamar is, it, it's, he's a hard guy to rank in some aspects. He definitely has a talent, superstar ability. The big thing to me is he's just got to become a little bit more of a dangerous passer, right? That's the big thing to me more than anything, all right? Mahomes, as you see, you know, can just strike at any moment and just explode and take a game over. You know, it can be, oh, it's three underwhelming, you know, quarters, and all of a sudden he catches on fire and he can carry a team. Listen, Lamar Jackson's super talented. He's a natural thrower. We saw improvements in his throwing, you know, his accuracy, everything about it. It's all going in the right direction, you know. But the big thing is, is I, I, we haven't seen a quarterback or a team win a Super Bowl the way the Ravens play yet. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm curious to see if they can get there and do it too because I think at some point it's going to come down to a little bit like we saw the last two playoffs. They're going to play an elite defense, and they're going to go, we're not going to let this run game beat us. You're going to have to beat us with the drop-back pass game. And I think it's going to come down to that. And I do have faith that Lamar is going to be able to do that and can do that. You know, just I think it's parts of his game to me that need to be improved just a little bit. So certainly has the ability to be the best player in football. But he's not Patrick Mahomes yet. I mean, come on, you know. We're talking about a guy yeah. right now, and Patrick Mahomes is doing stuff that we've never seen before in the history of the sport. You know, it's NFL MVP followed by a Super Bowl MVP against one of the better defenses we saw in the last decade, and he made a you know an unbelievable comeback in the fourth quarter. Yeah, Lamar has already exceeded some people's expectations about what he can do as a thrower. I think in the NFL, but maybe there's still some some more room to grow. But there is top five, yeah. top five at anything. 
You're not. I mean, just saying he's not going to be as good or is as good as Patrick Mahomes is. I'm. I mean, that's a great compliment to many people to even be in that conversation. Right. Uh, okay. So, Chris, we have to end it though with put in your. Make sure your AirPods are charged for this. It's the I'm only on one. Going. It. Okay. Oh, Chris is gone. He left. Good night, everyone. Oh, he's coming back. We, this might all be in the pod. This is a very interesting uh, situation. Chris is back. Kristen, Apparently. do not edit this from the pod. This is all like dramatic. So we lost Chris. He, he did something with his AirPods. Now he's coming back. He's still not in Communicado. I, for, for a second there, I thought, Chris, that you didn't want to hear yeah, my godfather. You pleaded with me for for days and weeks and months to watch this movie, and then right when I'm about to tell you my review for The Godfather, you hang up. I don't know what the hell happened. I really don't know what happened, <laughs> but it's... I think you're right. I think Kristen's getting in my ear right now going, I double-tapped the AirPod, which I think I might have done. I don't know. I didn't double-tap it. I closed it really hard, I guess, and that's what did it. So, yeah. But I am dying for this. I wouldn't hang up right. on this or anything. <laughs> so let me hear you did the good. call back. You did call back. All right, we end with uh, Ahmed watched a movie, The Godfather, four decades after it came out plus. Uh, I'll, I'll go with the things I liked first, and I'll start with the fact that um, the name is uh, Don Corleone. I always thought it was Don Corleone. Most people, right. just, they, they dropped the last E on the end of it there. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, you're right. I think I do the same thing sometimes, and I don't know why, but yes, Don Corleone. For, yeah. For a second there, I thought they were mispronouncing their own name. I was like, guys, get it straight. It's Don Corleone. Why do you keep saying your name wrong? Uh, here's what I liked about it. Uh, I mean, you feel like you totally understand the family and, and like their motivations and why they're doing things. It really lets you into kind of the family dynamics there. It's got really creative scenes that obviously are iconic now that I will remember for the rest of my life seeing the, the horse head in a bed and uh and the fish in the newspaper because luca brazzi <laughs> sleeps with the fishes spoiler alert by the way i'm going to be giving away some some of the uh, best nuggets of the movie if you haven't watched it like me a week ago well shot um and i think you were right like most people should watch it just for the historical significance of it right just to say that you've watched it and these references that you make and that pete makes and that matt casey make and i'm like what are you talking about like, just please watch The Godfather or else we can't hang out with you because you can't communicate with us. Those are all the <laughs> right. things I liked about the movie. But, Chris, I do have some things I didn't, I didn't quite like. Uh, apparently. I, I mean, you, you seem like you can't wait to get to this part. Okay? <laughs> so let me hear about it. <laughs> so, first of all, Chris, the opening scene with a wedding, that was way too long. That was like, I was like at that wedding for 30 minutes. That was longer than I have been at some like actual weddings where it's, I was like, no. okay. We get it. They're getting married. Okay, it's enough. Well, they're showing you this is a typical Italian Italian wedding, and they got to show you that Don Corleone's got he can't refuse a request on his daughter's wedding day. So they got to play it out. We got to see yeah. Sonny cheat on his wife and have sex with the girl in the bathroom. I disagree. <laughs> it's a great scene to me. Okay. 
It's, I mean, it's a lot of scenes. And it's, a, it's a little long, but it does, it does show you how important family is. It does set up the family being important, but then you also got to keep track of business at the same time and juggling that. So I, I do give it credit for displaying that. I thought Michael uh, Corleone, I never, I never quite believed that he wasn't in the family business. And I know that was kind of like the gist of it in the beginning of the movie is like, oh, he's the good one. He's on the outside. I, I, I never quite bought into the fact that he, he was on the outside, which I think they tried to suggest, but it just seemed to me like he was always going to be going to be a bad guy. Well, yeah, well, you know, yes, he was trying to be a lawyer, right? That was going to be he was going to be the, the the come clean guy for the whole family. But yes, you're you're let you know he becomes the godfather, so that's why you know that's why you're saying that you know. I didn't really know. No, God. I didn't know that. You didn't know? I didn't know that. Okay. No. All right. No. All right. Fine. I, okay. I, I, so. I assumed I assumed that would probably happen, but I didn't know for sure. But it seemed obvious from the from the beginning. A couple other small things. I think the uh, I think there were too many characters in the book. I had a hard time. Or it, it was from a book, right? And so it's like they tried to put all those characters into the movie. It was kind of hard to to follow all of them. But that just might be my own shortcoming. I thought when uh, <laughs> when he went to Italy for a while there that that dragged on for a bit, and then he married Apollonia. I don't know how necessary marrying Apollonia was to then just see her expire in that fashion. That that scene I didn't like at all, even more than the uh, than the wedding one. And finally, the last thing, right? The, the end the end of the movie, and this is a real spoiler alert. The the baptism bloodbath was seen as one of the most iconic parts of any movie. I would have liked it to have been a little more Ocean's Eleven, where you like get into the how it's going to happen. It all seemed to happen so quickly, and it all seemed to be so easy that you almost wondered why they just didn't do that do that before so it, it they went too fast for me the end the uh, the climax of the movie was too fast right well i don't know you know some parts are too slow some are too fast you know <laughs> i think some of them are just your damn brain's too slow okay and you just can't keep up yeah. uh i will it. say this it is a long movie there is a lot of information and characters thrown at you i honestly like Godfather better the second and third time I've watched. It's one of those movies, oh. and I, I don't think you're ever going to watch it again. So, But it's <laughs> one of those movies that you watch it a few times and you learn little tidbits every time a little bit more. And, of course, it sets you up for the future movies. You know, you're going to have to watch Godfather 2 at some point, okay? You're going to have to yeah. do that. I honestly think the best way to watch The Godfather is in chronological order, right? I really do. So... And man, it still hurts me that, you know, Abalonia got hurt in that damn car. What a, what a, I can't believe they blew her up. That hurt me. That scene there is at least a little percentage responsible for the reason why I married my Sicilian wife. I always saw that girl and was like, man, she's beautiful. I, where can I find one of those girls? Like I was always, so uh, I guess that's what my wife turned out to be, but nonetheless, yeah. uh, great movie. And I'm glad you at least finally watched it. I mean, very suspect that you had to watch it in two days. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. Of course, the movie's hard to keep track of when you watch it in two separate days. Damn. <laughs> hey, it took me forty years to watch it, so I think two days is is pretty is pretty good. No, but all right, we'll Chris, take thank, it. Thank you for thank you for making me watch it and talking about it for a year because I do feel like I have I have entered society a little bit more than I than I had a week ago. All right, good. Thank you. Welcome to America. <laughs> Welcome to the. Yes. Society of the Italian culture, okay? Yes.
uh, which was, of course, where, where I grew up in North Jersey was very prevalent. So maybe it, it hit home a little bit more with me than, than maybe you. But uh, I'm glad you did it. Godfather 2 is coming next. You okay. know, I think you got to get into Braveheart, too. I'm just sorry. I mean, hey, Mel Gibson, he oh, might gosh. be a douche or whatever, but the movie's awesome, okay? Uh, okay. I know that. So we'll get One there. They're all time. long, One too. It's going to take you a long time. <laughs> but that's it. We're done, right? You got anything else you want to add done. about The Godfather? That's it. That's it. No, that's it. that's it. I've already made you angry enough with some of that stuff. No, you're okay. I'm just happy you watched it. But always fun. Ahmed, awesome job on your top five backup quarterbacks of all time. Always a great conversation. We had a lot of laughs. We'll be back on Thursday. Paul Burmeister will be in the seat for Ahmed. And we'll have the big effort. Big Phil will be back on on Tuesday. We're going to get into some of the AMAs and current news of football. But keep sending in your questions. Instagram, Twitter, we're keeping track. And we're going to get to all of them. Peace out, everybody. See you, Ahmed. You the man. Later. Clap it up. <laughs> The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.